Welcome, action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All The Time. Or should that be, for this month only, All 90s Bond. I'm your host, Scott Murphy, and on today's show, we are talking about the 18th official Bond and Pierce Brosnan's second outing as 007, Tomorrow Never Die. So... (sighs) Who was supposed to be joining me for this episode? Well, obviously, my regular co-host, Mr. Craig Jaheim. But unfortunately, Craig could not make this episode because he is too busy currently spreading fake news. So in his stead, we have a returning guest. Returning for actually the third time in a row on this show, it is Namely 90s co-host, wine connoisseur, and a man who always knows how to deliver a one-liner, it's Schwitter, Brandon Schwitter. If I might say so, you found the right decadent, corrupt Western agent as a partner. That was a good one-liner to pick. It fit perfectly. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was that or uh, let's stay undercover. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it didn't really, really didn't work here. Or uh, you were pretty good with that hook. Uh, I don't even know if that's a one-liner. That's just yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. saying things. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, hi, anyway. everyone. Yeah. Anyway, moving on with the show. Now, pay attention, 007, as here are your background details on Tomorrow Never Dies. It was released on the 12th of December, 1997. Back to releasing in the UK first. It was released in the US on the 19th. It was directed by Roger Spottiswood, who's best known for directing the likes of Turner and Hooch, Air America, and a film we covered on this show, regrettably, Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. It was written by Bruce Feirstein, who, as we mentioned previously, was a co-writer in GoldenEye, would go on to write The World Is Not Enough, and several Bond video games. Critically, it is sitting at a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 56 on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 89 reviews, 52 on Metacritic, based on 38 reviews, and it has a 2.9 on Letterboxd. Box office-wise, it made $339.5 million of a $110 million budget, making it the fourth biggest film of 1997. Do you think I should do the rest of the episode in that voice? (laughs) Uh, Yes, the entire three hours. Sorry, two hours. I mean, less than two hours. Yes, yes. Sometime between an hour and a half and two hours, probably closer to two hours. <laughs> I mean, honest, honestly, tomorrow never dies is uh, the one I, the one I was worried the most. Craig would not show up for because <laughs> uh, really? it's the one I, I have the least to say about. It's the one I watched the least out of the three that you're covering. That is interesting. Uh, yeah. The world is not enough. Is by far the one I watched the least um, out of the three. Uh, yeah. So. Well, um, so would you say you obviously don't have much of a relationship with this film? Uh, we're certainly a lot less now, do <laughs> Yeah, well, so my, my co-host, who we were hoping would also join me, um, I, I know he watched this before I did. Uh-huh. Um, and because, so 1997, this is when the, the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that's also when GoldenEye for the Nintendo 64 came out. So uh, yes, I believe so. Yes, I believe they both came out. So I was all about playing Goldeneye, and then he not owning Nintendo sixty four, 
he was the one that got to see this movie um i had to wait i probably didn't actually watch this until i was in my teens um honestly um as we were babies in the 90s uh 97 i think we were in the third grade uh so about 10 what, what does that mean how old were you like because that uh, means nothing to me from yeah sorry from from the uk <laughs> yeah so uh we were uh we were around 10 10 11 at that, that age um I, I i still had to play goldeneye with a game shark to to beat it um, or game genie i don't know yeah, which yeah. one you had um but yeah i know we're trying to focus directly on tomorrow never dies but that that's that my, the scope of my experience like i i may not have watched this one until i had like the box set in all honesty um oh. or at least all the way through because i remember like i remember the the good bit like we'll bring it up later but like q as the avis agent um and uh controlling the car with the cell phone that was revolutionary at the time um but you know uh it took me forever to realize that michelle yo was in this uh i always thought as a kid i always thought um since i didn't like i didn't watch it until later in life um i always thought that terry hatcher's character was actually a continuation of the natalia character from goldeneye because of the hair it's very very same hairstyle um i believe they both have a mole somewhere uh but you know i just as a kid i was like oh yeah they used to date uh bond was really into that that girl in the previous movie it must be the same woman she just got away not realizing that uh no that's actually terry hatcher in this movie mm-hmm. um yeah so that like everything everything about this i am ashamed to say that i i was not well versed in this movie until uh late teens early 20s late teens early 20s oh that's interesting so yeah. like yeah my relationship to the movie is in, entirely different um i didn't see it in the cinemas uh because you know, when I was a kid, as a family, we didn't go to the cinema that often. But like, um, we did uh, regularly go to the video shop. So this was this was a rental. Um, from so I probably at that stage, you know, it's not like now where you know things are in the cinema and then like three months later they're like on VOD or whatever. It's yeah, like it'd be like they were in the cinema and then like a year later, um, something would come out in VHS. So. Mm. So, yeah, so I probably saw it sometime in 1998, I would guess. And, yeah, I saw it quite, I yeah, I think I've seen it quite a few times between, like, renting it and, like, seeing it on TV and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like, and it's kind of weird because I felt like I didn't remember the movie that well. And then I actually started watching the movie. And then I was like, oh no, I actually remember pretty much all the action sex pieces in this in this one. Um so so yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually kind of even more familiar with it than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And this is one that we'll get into it, but uh I frequently defend this film in that I don't think it's an amazing, it's not top-tier bond by any stretch, but it is it is currently um for for the listeners and on my letterbox ranking of the bond franchise is currently sitting at number 11 
and um, which is a lot higher than a lot of people would put it. A lot of people kind of share on this film. Uh, and in fact, like most of the films of the Brosnan era that are not called Goldeneye. But um, yeah, I, I, I think a like, little higher. Yeah, right. Middle of the pack. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would probably put it somewhere around there. Mid, mid to mid to maybe mid lower. I mean, having watched just watched it, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. No, I think that's kind of people's. I think people's problem with it is less to do with it's a bad bond. It like I think some people feel like it's kind of just a kind of greatest hits package. It's kind of like um, a generic in that way. Uh, I think that's maybe people's problem with it. And some people, I are also, and this is a thing I diverge on a lot of people with, is some people take action movies too seriously i think like <laughs> so well some people kind of react against 90s cheese whereas i'm all about 90s cheese you know like yeah. uh, that's that's as we kind of discussed in the con air episode i like mm. over the top cartoony action films and a lot of people react against that and want things to be more kind of brooding and, and serious and like which often i react against <laughs> Technically, this isn't, isn't this my fourth time on the show. Now that you mentioned Con Air, yeah, no, uh, this, yeah, this is your fourth time on the show. But um, if you're oh, really listening to my intro, gotcha. I, yep, I yep. said third time in a row. <laughs> oh, I thought you said okay. I did not piece that together. Um, so to to your remark about it being like generic, um, I. I understand where they come from on that just because uh, like this movie, they're on a boat that has, and uh, whereas the next movie they're on a boat and or submarine and like every, like I have an image of Denise Richards getting hit by water in a, a submarine or boat that looks exactly like the interior of this boat and or submarine stealth yeah. boat like it I don't blurs know, like, together in my head i don't know it's kind of interesting when people kind of lay the generic claim against a bond film yeah. or against against uh, a lot of different like kind of franchise films because it, like, it, it really felt like they they took goldeneye and they're like goldeneye did well let's just take all the elements that were good from it and then put it in a new story and just keep it exactly the same and we'll make money that's absolutely true but i mean there is i I do feel like there is wrong with that there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that bond has a formula you Mm -hmm. know you need uh yeah you need a good theme tune you need a badass henchman you need plenty of one-liners you need a colorful villain you need lots of exotic locations. You need several beautiful women. You know, you need a cool car. You need some funky gadgets. And that that's the formula. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just about like, you know, in the Mission Impossible films, you need great action set pieces, you know, great stunt work. You need um, Ethan Hunt to be disavowed at some point. <laughs> you need um, a, a villain that's either an arms dealer or a former IMF agent. You know, like you know, the, each of these franchises kind of have their own kind of little formula. And uh, you know, true, but... as long as you're hitting those major beats, <laughs> but, but, but like Mission, Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise makes it his mission to one up the previous one in terms of stunts. 
yeah and i no, feel that's, like that's true. tomorrow never dies is has plateaued with goldeneye yeah by not I, I, I know what you mean. and yeah. i think that I think um, that kind of segues nicely to the opening of the film because I do feel that the opening of the film, as exciting as it is, I don't think it's the same kind of excitement of GoldenEye. GoldenEye has like that that kind of um, you know thing where he's 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 you know he's climbing down the side of the 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 big um, what's it called. The dam. Uh, yeah, the, the dam. That's the word I'm looking for. He's got, he's, yeah. yeah, he's he's going down the dam. Um, and then he, you know, defies physics by flying off a motorbike and then getting into a plane. Um, yes. You know, like, uh, so there's nothing like that. I mean, he does the very classic action movie. Basically, they're at this place on the Russian border. Of course, we're on the Russian border. And uh, it, uh, the title card specifically says a terrorist arms bazaar on the Russian border. Like that's yes. a normal thing that happens. Yes. And somebody back in the MI6 headquarters refers to it as a terrorist supermarket, which I liked. <laughs> uh, just uh, also this, this opening sequence yet again, finishes with bomb flying off in a plane. I'd like to point out. It does finish with them flying off the plane. But then again, you know, going back to the kind of generic thing, it's a slightly more kind of generic opening. Like he flies through an explosion. Like basically, um, missiles are set off by a kind of rash British admiral played by uh, Jeffrey Palmer, who is who's mainly known for sitcoms uh, <laughs> back in the UK. He's mainly a sitcom actor, but um, uh, probably not known in the US. Uh, and uh, he fires off some uh, missiles to blow up the terrorist supermarket, but there's a plane with like nukes on it, um, which then he very entertainingly blames on the Russians of, of his rashness. It's like his rashness of setting off the missiles, but he's like, ah, can you Russians not keep your nukes to yourselves? God damn it. <laughs> uh, uh, and then also just the, the rampant... Uh, I'm being sexist towards the female director of MI5 or MI6, MI6. To be uh, honest, from a British, um, from a British naval admiral, that uh, that seems like par for the that, course. That kind of yeah, that seems par for the course. That kind of reads, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. But is it because she's a woman or because she's MI6? Like probably both. Okay. I, I think probably both. I, I think that there is a kind of thing, like a, a real thing, that, you know, the, the Navy doesn't like the Army much, you don't like the Air Force, and none of them like the Secret Service, you know? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's kind of relatively realistic, that, that, that tension. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so terrorist arms bizarre. Um, it's... Bond has to then steal the the plane, fly it off before the the missile hits the nuclear payload on on the plane. Yes, um, and uh, we should mention, you know, something that differentiates differentiates the Pierce Brosnan era from uh, the other eras of Bond. Now he's very anti-smoking. Uh, punches a guy in the face and says <laughs> terrible habit i mean he's been smoking up until license to kill but like <laughs> That's a good but point. now he's a very 
anti-smoking campaigner. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, I, I believe, uh, I, I know anti-smoking campaigns were going strong in the nineties here in America, I assume. Yes. Oh, uh, they were, they were. And also like it became a thing because apparently, uh, Martin Campbell, who was the director of GoldenEye, uh, mm-hmm. was very anti-smoking and wanted oh. to make that part of the character. And then it just stayed on because obviously, yeah, anti-smoking campaigns uh, became kind of big in the kind of second half of the 90s um so the the missile fails to be aborted so bond has to to punch his way through smokers to get to this plane uh kill kills just about everyone by the way uh which was what they were trying to avoid by using the missile i guess Um, yes i i did write that down in my notes that it blows up just about everything (laughs) yeah and then he takes off Somehow the plane that was also on the runway manages to take off and then chases like there's a fire. There's a very Top Gun-esque moment where uh, Bond is being choked out by the guy he knocked out in the backseat of the, the, I assume, some sort of MiG uh, Mm -hmm. that he was in. And um, he's flying a, a fighter jet with his knees and manages to stay completely underneath the fighter that's looking for him that's while he's being choked bond out. Is. Yes. I mean, he is a commander in the Royal Navy, so uh, he's clearly had some flight training. That makes sense. But um, it, very impressive. It was it was as if Maverick was in, in the cockpit for this. Um, and then he, he in, in a smart move, question mark, ejects the man who's holding the choke cable around his neck into the plane above him uh, yes which thankfully that... doesn't decapitate him but <laughs> i was just about to say should that not have decapitated him uh yes but thankfully the guy let go of his grip therefore mm-hmm. not decapitating him and then just uh exploding the other plane I, yeah this is a funny thing like uh, when i was watching this initial first bit i was like ah oh, i don't really remember this but then when the plane was above and then the ejector seat moment, I was like, oh, no, I really remember that. But yeah, that really stuck in my head. <laughs> Which, again, elements from this film blend into the other Bond, Brosnan Bond films for me. Like the terrorist armed bazaar reminds me of the beginning of Die Another Day with the uh, the Chinese, Chinese, Chinese. Aren't they North Korean? Isn't he North tortured Cor- by the North Koreans? North Koreans. I, I couldn't remember who was via vilified in that movie. Um, yes, North Korea. Yeah, that sounds correct. But it's it's a dark, dark place, meeting place, and it overcast and it looks all the same. Mountains, whatever. I mean, I guess he didn't surf to this one. Um, yeah, that's but, true. Uh, and then the ejector seat. Did did he not just eject your seat in the helicopter last last yeah, movie as well? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's true. There was an ejector seat. Yes, like because they had to ejectors because they were stuck um, in the helicopter. They were, they, they were stuck in the helicopter, mm-hmm. and they had to eject your seat before the helicopter um, exploded. Um, again, yeah. no, nothing. It's this is this is on me because I haven't watched this movie as much as the others. Um, but it it does those those are the scenes that kind of blend together for me. Yeah, and uh, making it my personal mission this episode to point out every single thing 
that makes me think of the other three movies okay i'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry no it's, 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 it's okay um it's almost a shame that even though die another day is my least favorite bond movie it's almost a shame oh, yeah. that we're that we're not covering it because yeah. i still to this day don't understand how die another day has one of the darkest even including the craig area one of the darkest openings where he is being tortured by mm. the North Koreans and has one of the silliest endings, even <laughs> sillier than like Moonraker. It's 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 crazy the journey of that movie. Yeah, um, it's it's also a wonder how it takes all the goodwill from the first three movies and then kills the entire franchise. Yeah, for some time. For some time. For uh, for for a couple of years. Uh, it was only four years. Four. It was years. only four years. Two thousand two, yeah. two thousand six. So, um, it was but enough that they had to reboot it. Yes, enough that they they were like, no, we need to we need to start again. Go back to the source material and uh, yeah, um, and which is an interesting thing because like um, that's that's kind of one of the things that differentiates this era of Bond from the other eras of Bond is we have no input from Ian Fleming at all, even though mm. some of the earlier Bonds were kind of name only adaptations and or only took like the first little bit or the kind of first act of a story or, or a part of the story to to kind of weave in to the to the story of the movie that this era it doesn't take anything from the novels they're all completely original scripts yeah uh, and just it's it's interesting that i have no idea what i was going to say <laughs> that's uh, top podcasting work from the from me there from <laughs> yep this is me uh no and uh, no budding instead of yes ending uh oh wow i had something and it's just completely gone <laughs> well hold on to that thought uh, when it comes back you know whenever it comes back we can we can talk about it but we'll move on from the opening and then like we did last time let's discuss the mm -hmm. theme tune okay i, so I had thoughts last time you had thoughts on the theme tune last time i you said have... them yeah 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 yeah. oh no specifically this one because i yeah i we... remember yeah uh i don't have again i think this is going to come a lot up a lot in this episode um it's good it's not it's not bad in any way it's just not like top bond themes theme tunes for me tomorrow never dies michelle crow like great great singer i guess um it's good song it's just it's very uh, the thing i figured out when i watched it um this time around um it's just it's too loungy for me it's very mm. um it's it's not it's not catchy enough in the way that makes me want to like it doesn't give me any energy like a lot of the other theme songs for the movies um really get your energy up or uh interested or whatever this one's kind of a lullaby mm. a, a like a, a I, I imagine like a just like 2 a.m. in some gritty uh, burlesque show type uh, thing where, where there's just a lounge singer being like, uh, until the day. And it's just like, tomorrow never dies. Yeah. So I was going to ask you a, yeah. a little bit extra on the music before, yes. before we go back into the movie. So the first question is, 
Do you prefer Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow? Or, I don't know if you watch the end credits, Surrender by K.D. Lang that plays over the end credits. I think I prefer Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow. Um, really? That's I, interesting. Because I actually think I slightly prefer Surrender. I was like, really? oh, yeah, huh. I, I think I would have preferred this as the theme tune. I think they're both decent enough songs, but I think I prefer Surrender. Um, I mean, I think the first problem is anytime you you name a song Surrender, um, you just, instead of whatever beautiful melodic tune it is, it it just invokes uh, surrender by by cheap trick. Okay, um, that's yeah. that's the first thing that goes wrong there. Uh, it didn't. So I didn't watch all the. Well, yeah, I did. It didn't resonate as much with me. But to be fair, they don't include this in the in the um, collection of James Bond uh, theme songs. So I I've only heard the song once or twice. Yeah, um, but they only include the opening credit themes in the. In the not theme. true. They have um, uh, what's the one that they used a lot in the last movie? Oh, um, all the time in the world. All yeah, right, they, okay, yeah. They, no, they include no. all the time in the world, and they also include the Moby remake of the James Bond theme. Uh, yeah, which right. Was yeah, made because, for this movie. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. All the time, often the end credit song because. Like the pretenders do like an end credit song on like License to Kill. And there's a few other end credit songs that never get included in the collections. But yes, mm. all the time in the world always gets included because like the main theme for Honor Majesty's Secret Service does that kind of weird acid rock remake of the, the Bond theme song. So mm. like um yeah. Yeah. Wait, you said the pretenders did a closing Bond song? I didn't know that. Um yeah. Yes, on License to Kill, I believe. Am I saying the right band? Living the Chrissy Hine band. Uh, the Living Daylights was. Oh, the Living Daylights. That's that's where I'm getting. Yeah, I was but, getting I mean, my. You're, you're off. You're off. Yeah, you're off by one. I'm uh, off by one. The Pretenders did an end credit song for the Living Daylights. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> he it said was the f- editing the previous bit out. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first. It was the first uh, one to have a different song over the closing credits. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So, so there, so there we go. So there's, there's a few end credit songs that don't get uh, included. There was an end credit song last time that I now can't remember. Um, anyway, wasn't good. Uh, overall, we talked a little bit about the score of the last film and how it's kind of the incidental music was kind of a bit odd for a Bond film because a lot of techno. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some kind of techno mixes on this as well. But this is far more a traditional Bond score. There's a lot of the classic Bond theme guitar in this mm. movie. So did you prefer that? Did you prefer that they went back to the kind of traditional palette of the, the Bond score? Or I did. The, the, I did and you know, I didn't. Because uh, they, didn't, they okay. didn't get John Barry back for this one. Uh, no. So it, it was... It was a lot of nods to to the James Bond theme, but it also went in like um it not off key, what's the word I'm looking for. They they went with like the the minor minor versions of it. Like it, they it it not they they pitch shifted it to to weird places mm-hmm. like they had they had the bond theme and then there was like dunna, dunna. it was it was just a little bit 
it was a little bit off um but i did prefer it to the the weird techno 90s like straight mid 90s uh um orchestration or i guess um bleep looping of the um golden eye uh ost yeah because i kind of forgotten that like golden eye does that mm-hmm. like it was just kind of like oh right yeah okay that's kind of weird <laughs> well it's weird that this is the movie that moby made a remake of the james bond theme for not the previous one given all the techno music that that is true but it's like it's not that kind of it's like different techno it's not that kind of um it's not that kind of funky upbeat techno that exists yeah. in this movie it's like the kind of, which is is more associated with the late 90s it's a kind of mm-hmm. a grungier kind of more industrial you know that, dance hackers? kind of sound is that the one the i'm 90s. looking for scanners no what's the uh i want to say angelina jolie movie that terrible about hacking in the early oh, it's just called hackers it is hackers yeah that that was a straight up that's the soundtrack from Goldeneye. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I do. I do have to say that, like, I do like the work of the composer David Arnold, who mm-hmm. has worked on a number of Bond films. He would go on to work on, I think, the rest of the Bros in the Year. I think, or I'm not sure if he does the next one. Um, he does like he comes back for Die Another Day, Casino Royale. Uh, quantum Souls. he also did the scores for the likes of the benedict cumberbatch sherlock series and he's done like a lot of good work i think over the years i think i even have uh i think i have his shaken and stirred uh album which was like a a reimagining of all the old bond themes with mm-hmm. like a modern slant or modern for the 90s which meant some yeah. techno yeah and he uh, also gave us the stargate theme which is pretty cool oh really i didn't know that yeah. <laughs> uh, i do i do wait so he did this he did the score for the movie or he was at like s came in for sg1 he did the score for the movie he he scored like um a bunch uh, of those uh, 90s roland emmerich all movies. the role yeah. um he scored Stargate, Independence Day, and Golden yeah, Godzilla. Golden Eye. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's a good, that's a good resume. That's a good resume, as they the mispronounce. Yes. yes. Resume. Uh yeah. Um I thought he did a great job. Um it just it was a little it, it felt a little off. I would have liked because this this movie, again, like the previous movie, is just quip after quip after quip and uh it could have used a little bit more classic bond uh orchestration but um it's a step up from the previous one and i think it gets better as the as the brosnan era goes on Mm. in terms of music okay so i I think i think we've covered the music i think that's uh, that's a a tick on the the kind of kind of classic the classic Bond formula. We've ticked off the music, uh, so we we get back into the film. So we've we've covered the pre-credit sequence and and the music, uh, and then we actually get to the rest of the movie. Oh, I thought we were done. <laughs> yeah, we just talk it. That's <laughs> all our Bond episodes. Just concentrate on the music and the pre-credit sequence, and then yeah. that's it. That's it. <laughs> all nineties intros all the time. 
Um, I, I think we did a good job of, uh, of, of covering that. I mean, we maybe yeah. slightly long winded, but a good job. We didn't, um, get distracted or go into too many tangents. We, we stuck yeah. on mission. So that's impressive for us. <laughs> I, 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 I go, I tend to, to wander off more when there's a, a third, third input because I don't have to be as responsible. Oh, okay. Okay. I, cool, cool. I'm just an agent of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> you become more freewheeling uh, yeah so we're kind of we're reining in here well because so, my next my next note literally is oh right this is the gps movie yes yes it is yes it is um so it's all about satellites we have american magician ricky g uh playing a character um who's scrambling satellites and uh, we have a bunch of villains in a stealth ship uh, the led by the kind of main henchman of the movie, Richard Stamper, uh, which well, is quite Evil, a good name. Evil or Steve Jobs? Hmm? Uh, I, I always refer to him as Evil or Steve Jobs, depending on how you feel about Steve Jobs. <laughs> According to the, the Wikipedia, um, he didn't have long to like, um, he was late for his audition. Uh-huh. And then the the actor who plays Richard Stamper, and uh, so he, he didn't have like much time. They were like, "Oh, you've got however many like a, a, a thirty seconds to introduce yourself or something like wow. that." And he apparently just said the one liner: "I'm big, I'm bad, I'm German," and that got <laughs> the role. I, oh. I hope that's true. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, sorry, I was thinking of Elliot Carver, not Richard Stamper. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah Stamper's yeah. the head, the like the head henchman. Carver's the the media mogul. Uh, yes, Carver My is bad. the the main villain. I was slightly confused that you you were thinking of um, Stamper yeah. as uh, evil or uh, Steve Jobs. Yeah, but no, that kind of clears that up. So you're thinking yeah. of Elliot Carver as sorry. Uh, Stamper to me is knock off uh, um, R- Rocky Four villain. Uh, Oh, Ivan Drago played yes, by uh, uh, Swedish legend Dolph Lundgren. Yes, yes, mostly because <laughs> of the hair and the jawline. Yes, he does have, he does have that kind of short, uh, kind of uh, bronze thing going on. Um, See, I'm back to derailing. It's, it's yeah, fun. It's yeah. what I'm here for. <laughs> back, back to your, back to your classic things. Is the actor is called Gots. Uh, um, it has Gots one of those. Auto. Gotts Auto, so I, you know it has one of those things above the the O, um. So I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, uh. But uh, Gotts Auto, um. That's that's Mr. Richard Stamper. I believe the umlaut, uh, makes it a long, uh, long. Yeah. Gotts. Yeah. So. They're on a still ship, and then we, we cut to a British, uh, the HMS Devonshire, uh, and then they are being told off by the Chinese that they are in Chinese waters. The British don't believe it. They say they're in international waters. They have a bit of an argument about it. Their satellite is being scrambled, and the villains in the still ship, they set off a sea drill that the British mistake for a missile um, uh, and dropped by the Chinese. And uh, here, I don't know if you noticed, but we get a little cameo from Scotland's own Mr. Gerard Butler. Really? 
Yes. I missed that one. Yeah, I, I looked out for it because I was looking at the cast list and I was like, there's an actor who appears in this opening scene as well called Julian Rhine-Tutt, mm-hmm. who is in a lot of British sitcoms. And I was like, oh, Julian Rhine-Tutt's in this. And I was like, oh, crap. Jared Butler's in this as well. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Um, so I'm going to have to look out for them in this opening scene. And uh, yeah, and there they both were. Uh, like just Jared Butler gets one line uh, something about oh they're down fourteen degrees, and uh, Julian Ryan Tuck gets like three lines um, just just before just before Jared Butler. So I was quite I was quite kind of like oh, <laughs> and and they're the one they're they're aboard the HMS Devonshire. Yes, they are aboard the HMS Devonshire, and then obviously they're killed off, uh, presumed right. drowned. You don't see them again amongst the survivors who are machine gunned. So like mm. uh, maybe they're ones who weren't the survivors; they just drowned. Went down with the um, ship. <laughs> uh, I'd just like to say since I, I couldn't find many map inaccuracies and this is one um, that we're going to go into Brandon's physics corner earlier on in, oh in this, this movie uh, <laughs> they, they shot a drill missile yep. or drill torpedo excuse me to the boat into the boat that drilled into the boat um how the f did that work i don't question the logic of bond films to be honest too much that's that's fair that's fair i'm not here to take the magic away but to 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 perfectly drill into a into the into this ship this well-armored hull i don't i don't think you you would you would need a constant propulsion to to counterbalance like the the motion of the boat and it, there's i'm just there's no way this thing would work yeah i i totally that's, agree with you but th- like, that's my yeah that, yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, yeah. that's all i had for this one i'm sorry <laughs> I, I, fa- I failed i failed the the fans of my my map corner um other than uh they said they're in international waters but technically if you look at the the Venn diagram of all the other um, waters later on the, the the episode, there's no way they could have been in international waters. Anyway, <laughs> that's also probably true. Yes, yeah. So that, yes. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because other, uh, yeah, because they'd probably be in Chinese waters or Vietnamese waters or yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you'd probably be in some of these waters. Yes, but, uh, but no in depth. This there's no in depth. There's no way you could hang glide from the Hollywood sign to Disneyland. Uh, in this episode. Um, in case My you didn't apologies. pick that up, listener, that's a reference to our earlier Escape from LA episode. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Brandon does not know the geography of Hamburg well enough uh, to to make no. any kind of assertions on <laughs> on how Bond fucked up the geography of Hamburg. Yeah, but, I mean, mo- I assume they didn't shoot in Hamburg, so it, it's not. Well, they shot in Germany. I think they oh, did, did they? shoot in Hamburg. Oh, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, uh, I mean, oh, like, they, the, maybe that's the, what I meant. I assume they actually shot in Hamburg, so it, it makes they, more they sense. Did. They did. Like, it's not like later on in the movie where Thailand's pretending to be Vietnam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, generally, when they're shooting in Europe, they generally are in the place in Europe that they say they are. Uh, mm. Unlike when they're in other places, you know, where like, you know, uh, I think 
what was it last time uh, Puerto Rico was pretending to be Cuba or something? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and this time Thailand's pretending to be Vietnam. But uh, yeah, so there's certain places that they pretend they are somewhere else. But uh, generally in Europe, they, they are like if they're like in France or Germany or whatever, you know, like they are in those places. Um, or they're in a Pinewood studio. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> pretending weren't, they, weren't they locked out of Pinewood for Phantom Menace in this, for this one? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, I think I saw that somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I think they were filming somewhere else. Um, I think they did that with... Oh, no, that's Le... Le- Le- Levston Studios, uh huh, right, which was yeah. the abandoned Royal Rolls Royce factory for Goldeneye. Yeah, for for Goldeneye because they didn't shoot in Pinewood for Goldeneye. So coming back to the movie, we yes. get introduced to Carver, who I like villains who are just like cartoonishy villainy sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't work always, but uh, I think it does in this film. And generally, I like villains who monologue. And who have like kind of cartoon villain meetings. And mm. so, like, the introduction of Elliot Carver is really something for me. You know, I, I just, I'm just, it really tickles me and it really entertains me. I don't know. Some people react against kind of, they again, they want villains to be more villainous and uh, more grounded or whatever. But I quite enjoy the cartooniness of Elliot Carver. How about you? I think it works well here. I don't think it works well in, say, Jurassic World Dominion. Okay, I've not uh, seen that yet, but I'm just all, all I'm saying is these are both very Steve Jobs or Tim Cook esque characters, and uh, like you could see that 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 influence on their both their um, like outfit and um haircut <clears throat> uh but no I, I thought it was i thought i thought this was a perfect fit for this movie um without because they still don't have the rights to to blowfeld at this point right so why that is correct they would not get the rights back until specter i believe <laughs> yeah so they like they have this villain that has all the henchmen and the videos and uh video screens and teleconferencing and it's very it's very like spectery except it's his own media organization and uh this was this was right as the 24-hour news cycle and the like cable news channels were starting to boom so it it was a very um very uh why am i blanking on words today (laughs) it was of the time it was very on point for what was going on in the world um topical Yeah. The word. Uh, so and, I guess yeah. in terms of look, I can see where you're coming from with the Steve Jobs thing, uh-huh. but in terms of presentation, in yes. terms of like um, his talking um, and the kind of psychology of the character, it was very much more based on people who were big in the British media. There was mm. a very famous british media baron who was also a big time fraudster called robert maxwell who sounds familiar yeah he owned like the the mirror group who owned which is a kind of the daily mirror is like a kind of big tabloid in the uk one of the big red tops it's Mm -hmm. what some we call kind of the tabloid papers because they have red tops like the daily mirror the sun you know stuff like that 
And so he owned that and then he ripped off a bunch of people. And then like his death is kind of referenced in, in this movie because like he fell off the side of his yacht in a presumed suicide. So like that ties in with the end of this film. And also the other main person it's based on is the, you know, the evil controller of all media, uh, Rupert Murdoch. So, um so yeah and and those were not those were very not veiled references either no no this is this is very clearly kind of and and i think because like robert maxwell had been dead for a while by this stage Mm -hmm. this was like 1997 i think he died in like 1990 or something like that so people were very much drawing parallels at the time with Rupert Murdoch this was being based on Rupert Murdoch who you know kind of controls a lot of media in a lot of different places he has a lot of newspaper and television in Australia where he's from Mm -hmm. he controls many many newspapers in uh, the UK and his company also owns Sky which is like kind of cable and then and, and what's well, yeah like you know people have a sky satellite in their house and the, the, he controls that in the uk and then he has a uh, fox in the U- fox news in the us um so he yes he controls a lot of media and he's not a good guy and hopefully well allegedly allegedly not good person <laughs> not, just in case anybody decides to sue me <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, and and if not, we'll just uh, we will add a retraction later if necessary. Yes, a full apology yeah, yes. <laughs> to News International. Uh, yeah, please, giant uh, international conglomerate, come down on this small indie podcast so that we have to apologize publicly to you. Um. So- um. So I could they, see that. I could see me getting sued by Fox News or something. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Although anyway, they, they they've thrown enough slander out. In the yeah, world that's that, true. That's true. I mean, like it's fair game, isn't it? You know, yeah. they slander enough people, we can slander them. And also, you know, it's an indie podcast. Who's listening? Back to the movie. Uh, other than you, valued listener. <laughs> other please than share. all my value. Oh, no. I mean, o- please share us with your friends. Exactly. I value each and every one of my listeners. And uh, there might not be loads of them, but uh, they're there. They tune in for each episode. And I very much appreciate everybody who checks out this. And even with all the tangents and diversions. And talking about tangents and diversions, we're going to stay away from that and cut back to the movie. We get reintroduced to Bond and we get reintroduced. How do we get reintroduced to Bond, Brandon? Uh, I believe he's having a uh, linguist class, a cunnilingus class. Um, did that did that pun work? I don't... Yeah, I think it worked. Um, <laughs> he, he, uh, so they... Uh, the the whole international incident goes off and the the chinese think the the british fired on them and the the british think the chinese fired on them so yeah. uh money penny is forced to call bond while he's seducing in was it an oxford professor yes uh of 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 some sort of language 
Oh, she's uh, Danish. Ah, she's a Danish professor at Oxford. I hope, and then not a student. Um, oh no, she's a professor. She's listed in the credits as a professor. Okay, and uh, by cell phone, he has a cell phone now, um, which I don't remember if he had in the previous uh, Gold Eye or not. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, I another thing I noticed about Brosnan's era uh, that didn't really click until watching it through this this go around uh the women and him enjoy biting each other a lot while they're having their sexy time uh, or post sexy time uh that's true a lot lot of like chomping and biting of (laughs) of uh of bond um and then oh i apparently stole the pun from uh, Money Penny, where she says something about uh, cunning linguist. Yes, she, she says you always were a cunning linguist, Bond. Um, and I was watching that, and I was like, "Oh, I totally didn't get that oral sex joke when I was watching first watching this, age like 13. <laughs> yep, same here. And then I also didn't get this weird uh, reference to uh, the American military's uh, don't ask, don't tell policy when uh, Money Penny says to M, don't ask, and M says, don't tell. Yes, I did think that was an obscure reference. I was like, what? okay, why did they put that there? But yeah, okay. Just another way to, you know, kick it to the Americans, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, we, 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 we were reintroduced to Pierce Brosnan's Bond. He has, again, the classic DB5 from uh, all the way back from one of the first Bond films, uh, which we see very briefly uh, before getting our sponsored BMW for the, I almost said episode, for the movie. Um and then uh, we cut to learning what GPS is, just so that everyone in the audience understands what global global positioning satellites are. Not as um, common in 1997. Maybe the no. audiences needed that. I mean, I, I guess the the term sat nav didn't come common for uh, the UK until mid 2000s. I guess so. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Certainly in 1997, as a family, we were still using a map. Uh, I, had a, I mean, we had, a, we had a GPS for our little fishing boat that we'd go out on. Okay. Uh, um, well, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, as a kid in 1997, I probably couldn't tell you what GPS stood for. So I get it. I get it. But there's two or three times during this movie they they say an acronym and then they say what it means and then they go back to saying what the acronym is uh, just so that everyone's on on board on board everybody knows you know yeah. i mean it's, uh, it's kind of like classic bond demo you know i mean the big action movies tend to do a bit of kind of audience handholding <laughs> true and and it, you know i i think we've gotten better about it over the years it's just it, it's very it's comical going back because this is 25 years old now and it's just like oh yeah that wasn't a common thing how uh yeah I, that's true you're just kind of like catching up with the times yeah no it does take you a second to kind of readjust your thinking to being like oh why do people need explaining that and then being like 
going back to when we were kids because we're both in our 30s mm-hmm. and then being like yeah i wouldn't have known gps particularly by that stage. yeah so <laughs> uh, and so then so uh they what happens um the general is kind of saying we should uh go to war with china and uh are they talking to the prime minister or it's uh, not the prime minister it's aide. the minister for defense who minister. is actually played by julian fellows who would go on to become famous for being the creator of downton abbey oh well, that's awesome i think depending on how you feel about downton abbey I, not particularly i find myself but i know lots of people yeah. love it and i don't want to shit on it too much because yeah lots of people love it <laughs> um and uh yeah then they come in with uh oh the tomorrow newspaper has said that uh the chinese massacred uh all these sailors of ours that abandoned ship and uh according to a source in vietnam who are sailors in vietnam who found the dead bodies and it's like okay we're going to war and then the minister of defense is to am is like Okay, you could do your thing too. Uh, just you have forty-eight hours, and somehow the rest of the movie takes place in forty-eight hours. Again, I'm not going to question the logic of that. I did think of that at the time. I was like, forty-eight hours. It's like yeah. oh, it, it, a lot well, happens good. in this film for four. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, it, we'll, it takes two hour <laughs> or forty-eight hours for the sh- the ships to get to yeah. uh, China. Apparently, I think that if we went over all of the plot logic of a bond mm-hmm. movie the yes. episodes would be about five hours long so yes. like we can't we can't stay on any of those things for too long <laughs> i i revisit this later on in the film excellent <laughs> all right well so we should really cut to um we get some more kind of we ba- basically there's a lot of exposition on carver we get a big info dump on him and then we get some more wacky puns a lot of lot more sexual innuendo classic and so, uh, much, so much for a workplace <laughs> yes yes really too much too much for 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 a workplace but hey 1997 very different yeah, time at, at least at least it's the women uh harassing the man in this case because that uh, makes it better i don't know like everybody's <laughs> participating in the harassment they're all yes. in it. the man and the men and the women they're all in it together so like that yeah. makes it fine i guess <laughs> for the uh, 90s. question mark <laughs> yeah. uh, and then after that uh we cut to one of the most important things in the bond movie Q has product a placement oh. no <laughs> product placement so so yeah. we so we have a uh, Q as an Avis agent, who is obviously one of the sponsors of this movie, <laughs> just yeah. like Perry, we're, we're the sponsor um, of, of GoldenEye. And, and <laughs> just like Perrier, they get a vehicle through their product. It's yes, interesting. Yes, later in the movie, we get another Avis uh, advertisement. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, so Bond is sent to Hamburg for a the launch of the the media international media news thing that carver owns um and uh it's q is uh, apparently moonlights as an avis rental agent um no he gives he gives bond his new cell phone which has uh, a bunch of cool gadgets like a fingerprint scanner uh which scans not your fingerprints but the fingerprints 
at our place down somewhere uh a was it a twenty thousand volt taser out of the bottom of his phone that sounds that sounds like a lot it does. Uh, um a high-powered taser um and then it, it flips open uh to reveal a trackpad and a monitor that allows you to control the new bmw which q is incapable of driving because he's an old person and doesn't know how to video game but 44 year old Pierce <laughs> <Yeah>. brosnan does <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he clearly played pong as a child um, um yes <laughs> and then uh you, you see the car drive by itself it looks like magic and then there's the shot where you can clearly see a driver in the car and uh cut forward to the party where uh also it's um previously revealed that carver's wife is um terry hatcher from the new adventures of superman indeed and this is very much in the kind of classic Bond style of there. I think there's a couple of films where Bond proves himself to be an adept spy. Like, you know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, he goes undercover as another character for like pretty much the whole of the second act. So, like, that's impressive. Uh-huh. But most of the time, Bond is a very effective action hero, but very ineffective spy because Mm -hmm. he just immediately blows his cover by acting in a totally suspicious way hitting on Carver's wife and then kind of basically saying to Carver that you are the villain of the movie (laughs) yeah uh, I think you, you covered all the beats there um uh, yes uh also he just he's straight up james bond he doesn't he doesn't need a cover name he's just banker correct. my name is banker james bond uh <laughs> wait why did you use banker in your name uh yeah um i like how she, like she immediately just slaps him uh with and then says uh you said you'll be right back or something to that extent that does seem like a classic bond move I, yeah. I could I could picture very much picture that scene of just Pierce Brosnan being at the door like I'll be right back and then you know and uh, suddenly three years have passed and yeah uh, <laughs> she has a child out of wedlock and uh and um I, I enjoyed the part where it was just like he just under his breath he's like well I, I got busy <laughs> um but then she asks the the classic line from this movie um tell me james do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow um Which clearly it does yes like this was this was in the trailers i'm pretty sure back in the day yeah it is one of the lines that i kind of most remember from this film there is a later one liner that um uh is kind of forever imprinted in my head but uh yeah this is it this on the motorcycle hmm? was it when they're on the motorcycle no, the the other one-liner that you remember. Uh oh no, it's I know which one it is. It's the printing press. Yes, it's they'll yeah. print anything these days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have that written down as well. Uh, so, so apparently there's a, a bunch more double entendre this entire time. They uh, he meets back up with Carver with the wife there, and Michelle Yeoh's there as well. Um, Michelle Yeoh's character as Wylin. Uh, a Chinese spy, but she's posing as a 
uh, news reporter from China. Again, very good action hero, but again, not necessary. A better spy than Bond, more better convincing cover, more only, convincing cover than Bond, but not only because convincing. only because the camera follows Bond and not Michelle Yeoh. That is true. <laughs> um, also, yeah, uh, you said Brazen was like 44. Terry Hatcher's 32 in this, which is impressive. Michelle Yeoh is 34. Uh, she looks like she's 28 at best. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, not this being 1997, age differences, not ridiculous, not ridiculous age differences. Yeah, not ridiculous. Yeah. They're not in their 20s, the Bond girls. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so only 10 and 12 years age difference, which... Yeah, for an action movie of this time. Yeah. yeah, for an action movie of this time, that's relatively, you know, it's not like 20 years or anything. Yeah. Um, and then Carver just has a really weird reaction about Bond because he feel like it, it he acts like he's like, I knew you uh, it, he's he's acting like he knows she slept with him and uh and it's like, dude, your wife had a life before you were together. Obviously. Yeah. It is it is kind of weird like that. It was just like, you know, but I guess you get kind of creeps like that, or, or just like uh, don't like to think about the previous sex life of their partner. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not something you need to dwell on, but <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, something, but you accept it. You accept the, the, that yeah. they were a person who had a life before you entered their life. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then uh, Carver's. Tech goon, I forget you. You mentioned his name earlier on. Uh, Rick J was he the one? Ricky J. Uh, Ricky J is is the actor who plays uh, is the actor who plays the character. The character's name is Henry Gupta, which interesting. Um, maybe he's a different character. Than, I'm I'm thinking like the the stocky guy. Yeah. Um, he um, so uh, so are you thinking? Oh no, are you thinking of? Sorry, no, I'm are, are you guy. thinking of Stamper or are you thinking of Gu- Gu- Gupta? Is like the tech guy who controls the GPS, and uh, yeah. you know Stamper is like you know like you said that I even drag with that guy. I just you know I Ricky J doesn't strike me as a a Gupta. I guess so. I, I don't know. Henry, I, I don't know if that's the, me being racist or I, I them don't know. But uh, yeah, Henry Gupta is, um, is the name. <laughs> the American techno terrorist. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. he he comes in and he's like, the his record's too clean. Uh, he he's a perfect banker, no marks against him. Blah blah blah. And and that's how you spot a fake. He's definitely Secret Service or a spy or something. It's like, yeah, I guess there was a there was a point in time in the '90s where it's just like, oh yeah, we'll just make your record look spotless. And then, uh, I mean, all the way through the early 2000s, where it's like, uh, Fast and the Furious, they're like, oh, you did time and wherever, but you don't you don't seem to have much of a record, and. Uh, you know, Brian's like, whatever, man, I did my time. Um, Rip Paul Walker. Uh, <laughs> great acting. Just phenomenal acting in, in The Fast and the Furious. Uh, where, where are we going? Oh, uh, I so at this point, I forget, do we swear on this one, on this podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I marked the episodes as explicit. Basically, uh, Carver's doing a press conference. <laughs> Bond is being beaten up in the room by a bunch of goons. 
he manages to get the best of those goons. Um, and it's interesting that, like, I feel like Stamper should do more in the movie mm. than he actually does because, like, Stamper's role in the movie is often he's just looking menacing like he's about to do something, but then he just kind of does a lot of shouting at others to do stuff. Uh, and uh, Car- Carver makes a point to point this out later on the movie. Like, why don't you actually just go and kill them? <laughs> so he says something to that extent towards the end. He, he does do something to that extent. Yeah. How do you like Jonathan Davies as um, as uh, Carver? Um, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. I I don't know why I said Jonathan Davies, the Welsh rugby player, uh, but <laughs> um, I. Jonathan think, Price. I enjoy Jonathan Price in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, I mean, like like we said earlier, he's kind of a caricature, but uh, it it works for this villain and it works for this movie. Um, yes, it's not too over the top, or it is over the top to the point where it's like it fits in in this like crazy crazy plot. Yes, I think so. Here's another interesting thing, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think? I do wonder how over the top it would have been. If they went in the original direction, uh, apparently it was a choice between two Welsh actors. Um, so Jonathan Price obviously got the role in the end, but it was initially turned down by Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> I don't know if uh, my laugh got cut out because I have auto suppression on, but I just laughed. Uh, I don't think Anthony Hopkins would have been the choice for this role. <laughs> I feel like Anthony Hopkins would have pushed this character even further. Well, I, but into the into the realm of cheese, I guess so. Yeah, like I, because I'm I'm picturing I'm picturing like Transformers, Anthony Hopkins versus like Silence of the Lambs, because it's about equidistant. Um, I guess so. I mean, like, even if you're like testing the waters in terms of like the Hannibal character itself, you know, Hannibal, the Hannibal of Hannibal is quite different from the Hannibal of uh, Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. In I, terms I think, of how operatic that character is. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I, I feel like had he had this role, he would have taken it more serious than Cheese, mm-hmm. and I, I think that would have brought the character down. Yes, I yeah, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think he would have done it in a kind of more kind of gruff, serious way that I doesn't think doesn't fit this era of Bond. Yeah. I think Jonathan Price's character is quite um there is a kind of wry wit to Jonathan Price's performance that I mm-hmm. think you wouldn't have got from Anthony Hopkins. So I'm actually quite pleased that Jonathan Price uh, got the role in the end and Anthony yeah. Hopkins decided to turn it down to um, for Mask of Zorro, uh, another Martin <laughs> Campbell film. <laughs> I thought he was great in Mask of Zorro, honestly. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Yeah. It all worked out well. Jonathan Price is yeah. great here. He's great in Mask of Zorro. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, my next bullet point uh, in terms of plot is, oh, fuck, I forgot about the bloody printing press. Because uh, uh, after Bond escapes, after he destroys the um, the the premiere night uh, for Carver, uh, he's trying to he he has he meets with Carver's wife or Carver's wife comes to see him 
and she's all blah 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 there's a blah 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 and a secret thing on the roof and let's have sex and then um well, actually i think bond pushes it but either way um then they but, leave. And we should also mention that in terms of the product placement when um Paris Carver walks into his room. He's brutally drinking some Smirnoff vodka. Oh. Is... <laughs> I missed that one. With a label pointing towards the screen. So like, I feel like Smirnoff possibly also a sponsor. <laughs> I would put it past them. Uh, all right. And so then it comes to the next day and he's on the roof of the building trying to get into the secret lab. And he easily does because the cell phone Q gave him has everything he needs for this act of the movie. Um, quite quite literally, that was a... I mean, that's like a Bond trope that Q yeah. gives exactly the right thing to, to for the, the movie, but it, like, it got condensed down into just a single action bit, which I found funny. Yeah, this kind of section of the movie, because um, it works for... You know, getting on, you know, getting entering, you know, the the kind of facility, the secret facility that's on the top of his skyscraper to uh, where he keeps the the scrambler, the GPS scrambler, and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yes, we have the the printing press scene. We all we have various action sequences that are pretty good. Um, uh, we, before we get too far from from the safe, uh, he's the phone has a. Uh, fingerprint scanner which i mentioned before he scans the fingerprint off of the fingerprint scanner that opens the safe then flips the phone around without like flipping the image and then the safe unlocks i've that's that's my that's my one complaint about the scene (laughs) uh as we all know as we all know if you were to scan a fingerprint you would need to invert it for when you're trying to make the the image that you're using to scan anyway uh i cut you off at printing press yes we have action pieces we have the action set pieces um yeah we have the 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 printing press scene uh, i believe uh where Uh, i'd just like to say Yet again, uh, Pierce Brosnan's Bond just killing everyone just trying to do their job. Oh, yeah. No, he, he's completely... I, this is how I think... Um, we talked a little bit about how like uh, Bond would be different if he was, if he was in an American movie. Mm-hmm. And I think he would like kind of stop and contemplate things a bit more if he was in an American movie. Yeah, um, or or even just the Craig era Bond, or even just the yeah, even just the Craig era Bond, like where it's like more grounded and serious. Because like, and this is the reason these films can't be more grounded and serious. I think mm-hmm. because like, if you make it more grounded and serious, and the action is the same, then it becomes more disturbing and troubling, and you realize what a sociopath Bond is. He dropped a dude into a printing press. Yeah, but it all seems him. fun. It also because yeah. it's cut because it the, comes with the because the the tone is light and because it comes with all these kind of uh, one liners. It just seems fun, and you and because like they're faceless goons and they yeah. don't flesh out the villains in, in that way, and they don't make it serious and grounded. Then you don't. So, so you kind of overlook it. You're just like ah oh, Bond. You know, yeah. He he says that they'll print anything these days. Smirks and then moves on. 
exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and that's exactly why I don't think these films can be any more serious than they are, yeah. because yeah. it does become more troublesome. It does become more disturbing. And you are like, oh, we are following the adventures of an alcoholic sex crazed sociopath. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the pretty sure the guy that fell into the machine, that was just like a regular guard. Yeah, like, probably. He, yeah. Uh, he looked he looked like a security guard for the for the station and then yeah uh anyways bond makes a perfect dive onto a dolly and then maintains yeah. momentum through like five rooms uh it's always uh, good it's always wrong. good yeah i think th- or one of my other favorite moments of this sequence is even though the women don't get a lot to do in this movie uh, michelle mm-hmm. Yeoh gets a couple of fun moments and when it w- when they do the kind of thing where it seems like Michelle was kind of like a better spy than Bond, where yeah. she's kind of, you know, taunting him. Yeah, she, when, when she's kind of casually walking down this the the kind of side of a, a wall with a kind of uh, with a like a wire and just kind of waving at him and kind of taunting at him. That I mean, that's all good stuff. Mm-hmm. But then, like every strong female in a Bond movie, uh, after showing. Uh, strength during the second act she immediately becomes the damsel in distress in the third act yes but as we kind of discussed in the golden eye episode that is just it's not just a bond movie that is very much um kind of action movies basically action movies pre-2000 uh you know like maybe even maybe even slightly later than that but certainly action movies, um, yeah, before we kind of get into before kind of the Bourne movies and, and those kind of those kind of movies, and we, we start to get more strong female characters in action movies who are strong female characters throughout. And then obviously in, in the early 2000s, we get the likes of Kill Bill and stuff as well. But in most 90s action movies and a lot of 90s action movies that we cover on this podcast, we have this thing of female characters, strong female characters who are introduced, they're kind of badass for first two acts and then become a damsel in distress in the third act. And I think this is just a kind of common trope of action movies kind of pre the 2000s. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, totally. makes I, I agree. And I'm still going to keep pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's true. I, I mean, it is. It, it, it's an annoying thing, and it's it's thing that that needs to be flagged up each time it comes up. But yeah, it is just. I I, I was. I guess I was just kind of flagging up that it's not just a Bond issue. It's an it's an Societal. action movie issue. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's very much a kind of blockbuster movie issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, and. Yeah, but it should be flagged up each time. So you're right to flag it up. So um, the the BMW scene. So there's uh, Bond escapes, gets back to his hotel. Um, Terry Hatcher. I, I do think before we get to the BMW scene, yeah. we we should um, talk about like the death of Paris Carver right. and that scene. Uh, because I do think that it's an interesting sequence. And Terry Terry Hatcher just gets to sleep the entire time. Yeah. I kind of forgot, because I had written down my notes, like, I double-checked the times Mm -hmm. um, of, like, how much Terry Hatcher's in this movie. 
Mm-hmm. And the character of Paris Carver gets introduced at around minute 32. Oh, no. And <laughs> then she dies around the minute, around minute 55. Yeah, so sense. she's only actually in the movie and not considered she's not in all of these 23 minutes. Um, yeah. She's only which, actually in the movie for 23 minutes. And I was like, geez, which I is, did not realize that they discarded Terry, Terry Hatcher quite this swiftly. Which is another reason why I thought it was Natalia from the, the, the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the fact that in half the shots in the hotel room, pretty sure it's just a, a body double with terry hatcher's wig on um probably i think yeah i think when pierce brosnan like undresses or it yeah it's, it's highly possible that it's just like a body double well i mean when she's dead on the bed you see her face at one point but when on the shots that like it's just like her entire wig mm-hmm. um i yeah. mean hair her hair <laughs> yeah that's uh, probably something else yeah so yeah probably didn't pay for that <laughs> I, I would I, I mean it would be a cherry cherry gig for her but still uh mr vargas is in this from fast times at ridgemont high yes yes he uh, is vincent vincent chevalier Ch- chevalier um as a creepy as the creepy father figure to what's his face that we keep talking richard about. stamper richard stampa um he's he's a doctor uh of torture i i didn't i didn't follow the through line on that one he's a professional assassin he, but he's also yeah. pro- it seems like he's a doc like he has a he has some sort of a uh, psychologist um that's what it was he, he i and uh, apparently he's also a professor oh, of he, forensic science that's what it was yeah he's a professor of, of friend, forensic science um who is an expert marksman and apparently does kind of torturing as a hobby uh, that's mm-hmm. but like i really like this scene i like when when re-watching it i was like oh i really remember this scene and i thought it was i like the humor of this scene where they can't get mm-hmm. into the bmw and then he's like oh i'm so sorry this is so embarrassing mr bond this never happens to me you know can you give me the <laughs> can you give me the keys to the you know how you get into the bmw i just uh so embarrassed <laughs> and then he uses the taser by having the someone yet another bond another brosnan bomb film where he tricks someone into using the gadget against himself which is not a brosnan only bond thing it's just you know we had the pen in in the last one yeah this this one is the the cell phone taser um but i mean that goes back to to connery's era i'm pretty sure Um, yeah but i think that the thing about this scene and the mm-hmm. thing that kind of disappoints me about this scene is this scene's so good that I wanted more of Dr. Kaufman as a henchman. Yes, like I, I just wanted more of him in the film. I was like, oh man, he dies in like one scene. He gets this one great scene where he just lights up the movie and then that's it. Damn. Uh, fun fact, same amount of screen time as Terry Hatcher. That's not yeah. true. <laughs> no, it's, it's, clo- it's close though. It's, it's close. It's not- if Terry Hatcher wasn't in this scene, it's just That's true. It's almost the same time. I mean, it's not. It's not that much different because Terry Hatcher. I mean, Terry Hatcher is this is like her third scene in the movie, uh, and mm-hmm. she's now just dead on a bed. Um, yeah. So she had 
two scenes where she interacted with Bond. Uh, one yes. at the party, one at the hotel room, and two, uh, two scenes where she was undressed uh, three fourths of the way. Yes. So, uh, um, yeah, not much massive disrespect to one of uh, the leading ladies, of, or I mean, sh- she was very popular in the New Adventures of, or Lois and Clark, the New Adventures. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. She re- she really was, and um, because I was like a big fan of that show, so that that was kind of like. I was like, oh, there's a bunch of people that I know, you know, like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> as well as people, you know, Terry Hatcher's in the movie. And then, but I always forget Terry Hatch, uh, how little Terry Hatcher is in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. But then we get to what is probably, possibly the best scene in the movie. Uh, the BMW scene? Yes, where he tries to yes. escape from the car park, where he's using the remote control. I think this is yep. a great action sequence. Mm-hmm. I agree, uh, and and one of the better Bond car chases. I would say so, and it's it's interesting because you know you've got this kind of limited space, so we're just kind of driving in circles around this um, car park, mm-hmm. but they really do make the best of it, and there's like individual beats in the, the you know the sequence that i think are great i you know i particularly love you know when like the, the the windscreens have been like knocked out and the guy who fires the rocket launcher right through his car and blows up one of the the henchmen's cars that's a good I, one yeah <laughs> uh my my only my only nitpick about it is that they they shot like they shot the car up prior to to it but once it's in motion shooting at it shoots out the windshield that is true because like yeah we saw that um they were trying to shoot it up they were trying to like sledgehammer it and nothing kind of worked um while mm-hmm. it was parked but yeah like the the windscreens just explode um <laughs> when it's being driven around so that is quite funny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it ends with uh bond jumping out of the car and then driving it up the top, uh, the top of the, to the top of the car park and off the the roof into an Avis office. Uh, Getting which... our second bit of Avis product placement. I do wonder how much you have to pay to get into a Bond movie, right? Especially, especially, especially as a rental car service. <laughs> like, I I I was not expecting that when i first saw this movie although the ads i remember there were a lot of ads in the u.s for uh crossover with this movie oh, okay uh, um q like q as an avis person uh there's like this blonde avis woman that bond was hitting on um maybe those are the only two i remember but i i do remember it happening <laughs> excellent that's yeah. what you want oh, i yeah. i do like how um you know, people talk about Casino Royale and it's like, oh, you know, we went back to basics and we're not got all that fluff and all the all the cheesy one liners and, you know, mm-hmm. it being totally clogged up with, uh, you know, product placement. And it's like, wait, Richard Branson cameos in your movie. You know, yeah. like <laughs> uh, Bond doesn't drink a martini. He drinks a Heineken. Yeah. Or was that the next one? That might have been the next one. I think that's maybe the next one. But like there's definitely they have like a fight on like a virgin Airbus and like Richard <laughs> Branson cameos, and it's like, yeah, they're still 
I mean, yeah. I know you're like being all like, you know, this is a totally different bond, but it's still kind of the same bond. Let's not yeah. get too kind of far away from this. <laughs> and, and back then we were saying it is the same bond. Um, and then Yo Jimbo back. Wade, what what the, the Jack American Wade. Jack Wade uh returns the CIA liaison as uh Bond goes to the U.S. Air Force Base in Okinawa. Yeah. Japan. Oh, and I love the petty Britishness of this. Um, so like Jack Wade, um, says a line where he's like, "Oh well, we don't want to the the unofficial position is we don't want to start World War Three unless we are starting it because yeah. Bond movies just love the dig at the Americans." Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. And then there's a the guy. I at first I thought it was Paul Reiser because it kind of sounded like him, and I couldn't tell like who who was there. But it's uh-huh. Colin Stinton. Yeah. Uh, and if you're familiar with uh, the long-running UK series Doctor Who, um, in the third season, sound of uh, the penultimate episode, I want to say, sound of the drums. He plays the president that gets killed by the master. Spoilers. For a ten-year-old oh. episode of Doctor <laughs> yeah. Who, um, yeah, he, he he plays the president of Doctor Who. Because I was like, we should clarify that that is the third season of yes. the comeback show, the the, series the, the reboot of, in in two thousand and five. Yes, um, so so not the third season overall. No. You know? Not not the heart and all. <laughs> it was tenant tenant era. Um, it, it's yes uh yeah it was interesting that um i was like i recognize that guy i don't know why and then it's because he plays the obnoxious american president and doctor who and uh, looking at his credits he plays a lot of like americans in british uh uh, or english um tv yes he is a very known kind of um face on british television i was surprised that you kind of recognize him but like yes i know that you're a doctor who fan so that makes sense i I am a doctor (laughs) who fan uh i think i have two tardises just staring at me right now um (laughs) so yeah bond returns the gps scrambler yeah essentially what that was um and then uh gets them to give him a to allow him to halo jump into uh where the actual coordinates of the the devonshire went down Um, which is which is interesting because yes this is the scene that we learned that they weren't in international waters they were in vietnamese waters yes (laughs) they weren't even in chinese waters so which was the interesting part um and yeah, they. I think this is one of the first Halo jumps that you see on in cinema, um, which is not. Oh, this was the other one that they pointed. That oh, this is a Halo jump, high altitude, uh, low opening. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, people don't didn't know what a Halo jump was back then. Um, and I have to say, like you know, we've been kind of been discussing the action sequences. The action sequences are really good in this mm-hmm. movie and obviously second unit work was done by you know stunt work legend uh, vic armstrong and all the kind of stunt work and action set pieces are really quite strong in this movie mm-hmm. 
Uh, I mean, like up until like Tom Cruise did an actual Halo, didn't he do an actual Halo jump in one of the recent? I think so. That wouldn't surprise me. I can't actually remember. Like the, the Mission Impossible movies are weird in the extent that I can never remember the plot of Mission Impossible movies. They're they're just like a kind of jumble of action <laughs> stunt set pieces in my hands. That I want to. Like, s- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to say it was the last one because they were that that was the, that was the stunt that that elevated it from the previous one. Um, I think the 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 stunt that always sticks out in my head from the last one, Fallout, is when he jumps onto the side of the plane while it takes off. Oh, yeah. In the yeah, near the finale. Maybe it was the one before then. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It might have been the one before, but I know like it was it was in the the trailer that like this mm-hmm. is the first li- like time an actor has done a Halo jump. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. I, I always this... remember like the, the I, I can never remember what it is in like the third one, but I always remember the second one is like the the big stunt is like really the opening where he's 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 climbing, he's free climbing. Mm. Uh, yes. And then, like the big stunt in the fourth one is like the Burj Khalifa thing, um, where he's is going. Is that uh, where he's running and it's collapsing around him, or no? When he goes up the side of the skyscraper, and then uh-huh. he like, uh, and then he gets chased by a stand sandstorm, which he outruns after that. But like, um, you know, because he's Tom Cruise, I guess. Yes, and he can <laughs> outrun anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Certainly on film, he can. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Bond jumps into Vietnam. Uh, he goes down to the, the shipwreck where he runs into uh, Wylin again. And then um, as they... I think the the ship is sinking further and they barely get out. They have to leave their oxygen tanks behind and it's you know it's supposed to be dramatic because you think they're gonna die but it's a bond film so of course they're not gonna die Um, yeah but i i think like it's also the problem of it's often difficult to make underwater sequences seem kind of exciting yeah like because of all the action sequences that happen in the movie like there's a lot i mean yeah i i never have there's never any stakes of like oh bond might die in this sequence like unless there's a shark yeah but there but it's it's always exciting like the scene in the car park is exciting Mm. the open the pre-credit sequence in the planes exciting the later sequence that that we get on the motorcycle is exciting and you know but the just this bit just isn't like i i just I remember watching this bit and I'm just being like, oh man, the score is really doing the heavy lifting here to kind of try and make this seem like tense and exciting. Oh, wow. We haven't even reached the motorcycle yet. <laughs> I'm sorry for all of my tangents thus far. <laughs> um, it's okay. Yeah. We can, we, like we are kind of getting towards the end of the movie. So it's okay. okay. I Gotcha. So we're kind of going to, move along at a slightly quicker clip now so basically they escape from the the sinking boat um they come through the missile tubes they pop up uh from from the from the bottom of the sea uh only to be confronted by a fishing boat which they think is uh, a friendly fishing boat they try and wave down to be like hey get us out of the water but actually the fishing boat has been taken control of by stamper 
and various other henchmen. They are then uh, taken to Carver's headquarters in Vietnam, uh, where he's where he's he's got a sky large skyscraper with his image on it, like he has around the world, I guess. Uh, and then Carver gives another Carver monologue. Uh, Jonathan Price is really quite good at these kind of villain monologues. He seems to be having a lot of fun with them. And then we're introduced to the concept of chakra torture, uh, which uh, Stamper has apparently learnt from the deceased Dr. Kaufman, which he's very unhappy about. So like he was a mentor figure, as mentioned. And then basically the the relative in relatively quick order uh, escape from from this situation. And for this section of the movie, uh, the, the wardrobe choice is that Pierce Brosnan has a shirt that's about three buttons open. So it's, it's this kind of <laughs> a particularly <laughs> a particularly suave, sleazy look he has for this kind of section of the movie. <laughs> he, he, he's hassle-hoffing it a bit. And it, and um, yeah, I, I, I like how they unnecessarily harpooned the guy that was supposed to be on the fishing boat bringing them up. Uh, Stamper, yeah, <laughs> and clearly Bond is wearing that guy's clothes. Um, <clears throat> so to escape this, they shoot out a window, and then they do the the rush hour two thing years before rush hour two. I want to say it was rush hour two, where they grab the banner and then they go, they fall all the way down the building as the banner is like ripping with them. Uh, that clearly the banner should have. Well, welcome back to Brandon's physics corner. Um, <laughs> If you're falling at that rate as the banner's tearing, it definitely wouldn't have stopped at the bottom there. It would have yeah. just ripped. They they should have been dead can, again. Can I just pause you for a second, Brian? Yes. Um, like, how do you deal with like the like the Fast and the Furious movies and and, and stuff like that where <laughs> physics don't apply? Like, I, I just because like a lot of action franchises, physics don't don't really apply, and I just roll with it because I'm just I roll my eyes and go like, ah, it's an action movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it started grounded with the Fast and the Furious, and then and then we got to I want to say Fast Five, where a plane gave birth to a tank, uh, and now uh, I have to huff a lot of paint. Uh, before seeing Fast Eleven, where we are going to, f or Fast was it Fast okay. Nine, where they flew a car to space? It was Fast Nine. That was the last one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, to be honest, I haven't seen I I haven't seen eight or nine yet, just because I know that I will have an aneurysm watching it. Sure, cool. Okay. I, I love I love those movies, by the way. But I I I will have an aneurysm. I I I need to deaden myself. Sure. Uh, to to watch to enjoy them at this point um but it's all about family yes yes it is indeed that is the message of the movie it's and all about the, family <laughs> and, and uh bond being an orphan that's why i i can't let him get away with the physics uh especially the breaking through the glass into the into that next that office level that they're on can I? Shall I draw you how how a pendulum works? Uh, uh, never mind. Uh, they they escape. They get to they get down to the street level. Uh, there's a helicopter chasing them. They get on a motorbike as they they're getting away. 
they're still cuffed together at this point, um, which it should be pointed out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, there's a really awesome action set piece uh, where they go through what quote unquote Saigon, which is now Ho Chi Minh City again, or is Ho Chi Minh City? Anyway, um, it, which was not shot, obviously shot there. Um, no, no, shot in Thailand. Thailand. <laughs> uh, but there, there's, um, there's great, great chase with they had Land Rovers versus a motorcycle, and then there was a helicopter, and the helicopter did the thing where it flies really low and has the blades towards the ground, which should have destroyed that helicopter immediately. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. But there's lots of great beats in this movie because it's Mm. it's really good when, um, because Michelle Yeoh is kind of going back and forth between being on the back of the motorcycle and being in front of Bond. And there's a bit where she pulls down some barrels to derail some cars there's a bit where they managed to get a, one of the cars to go head first into a bunch of fireworks that go off. There's the bit where they oh, had the fireworks. That was good. Yeah. Um, there's a bit that they're driving up through a building and then jump over the helicopter onto another building. And then, like you say, there's a bit where they do the thing where the, the, the blades are going towards the ground and Twice. then they managed to slide in between the blades in the ground with the with the the, the motorcycle and mm. uh, destroy the, <laughs> destroy the helicopter with a clothesline, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty spectacular stuff. To be to be fair, that was a very heavy duty clothesline. Uh, yes, it was look, look, look to be like uh, pretty sturdy, like high tensile wire. Yeah. Uh, not like not like a string of twine that you would have uh, as a regular clothesline. Um, yeah, and then uh, they shower together in the streets. Because um, why? Why wouldn't you? And well, Michelle... they, they got very sweaty and, and very very dirty, and, and they they needed to freshen up. They wanted to freshen up, you know. Uh, Michelle Yeoh picks the handcuff lock and then locks Bond to a rusty pipe. Which I don't know if that's figurative uh, or, or or some 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 way hinting at something. But it's quite good that I mean it's quite good that um, where she rebuffs him like that. I mean I know oh, yeah. you kind of know that obviously Bond's charm will eventually you know win her over or whatever you know because it's a mm-hmm. Bond movie. But yeah. it's good that they at least gave her some character. That's true. And the way we define a uh, character for women in a Bond movie is how much they resist Bond before giving into him. Pretty much. It's <laughs> it's not much. It's, uh, you know, when you put it like that, pretty creepy. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that but is not wrong. Much. It's not it's not wrong. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, not wrong. And that's how it works. That's, that. I mean, it is yeah. wrong. It is yes, wrong in the general sense, you yes. know. But in in a Bond movie, that is kind of how, uh, yeah. So we, we we rate the females' character of like how much agency is this woman given 
before she is bedded by Bond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we f- we follow Michelle Yeoh into, uh, I assume, her stash house. Uh, yes. In- and uh, then the Chinese military sends assassins after her uh, who come at her with knives. So then she can then show off her martial, art- martial arts skills. Um, yeah, it's kind of a shame that this is the only scene where she really shows off uh, her martial arts skills. Like, I could have done with more of that. She basically, when they're escaping from the office, she bonds, kind of picks her up so she can do, like, one big, like, uh, kind of roundhouse kick to a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and then that's, that, that's, like, two seconds to martial arts. And this is the only kind of proper sequence proper martial arts sequence in the movie i could have done with more martial arts sequences uh from from her um but because i do think she's kind of underutilized they had guns <laughs> we find at the end of the sequence that one of them drops a pistol or pulls out a pistol finds a dropped pistol uh, they had guns <laughs> yeah so I mean, like they attacked I've seen... her with knives. Yeah, I know. <laughs> going, I, I get it. I get. It. I get. It, but they could have. They could have attacked her with guns, and she still could have shown her for martial arts. I've seen yeah, plenty of times in Jackie Chan movies where people have got guns, and he's disarmed them all and beat them all up. That's true. But wouldn't you start by shooting her if yeah, no, it's kill her? Point. I know. I know. Action movie logic, what have you? But they had I mean, guns. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they did. They did have guns. But then, like. Again, it is that kind of action movie logic thing of like, right, so they pop up from the ocean um, and <laughs> then Stamper, Stamper oh. and a gang of hoods, a gang of goons are on the fishing boat. Uh, at that point, surely they could have just machine gunned them to death and then the whole plot would be over, you know, like. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, so how do they get captured again because my next my next plot point is racist steve jobs kung fu oh yes 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 yes, yes. um so basically the after that they escape onto a boat they have some banter kind of uh you know oh i thought you were just a stuffy communist she actually have more (laughs) of a humor than you are than i thought you would and and she's like oh i just thought you were a decadent agent from a corrupt western power and which he kind of is so like that's that entirely reads um but 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 she's not wrong but like apparently she's seeing more in him than and than than previously so we're very much doing we're very much doing our bit for british chinese relations in this movie which is funny because it happened in the year 1997 and as history buffs will know the year 1997 is also when the british handed back hong kong to the chinese so like <laughs> yep <laughs> so we're, we're very much doing a bit of kind of like uh, soft propaganda here <laughs> which is what i assumed the, yeah i assumed that was one of the reasons for this movie back in the day given uh, how topical uh, it was for british chinese relations uh, yes yeah I, I i assume they were kind of capitalizing on that you know like they often they often do um so yeah they do that and then they they go on a little boat kind of searching the different bays um for the stealth boat they know roughly where the stealth boat is but they don't know exactly there's a kind of funny edit where like they they're on this little kind of dinghy boat thing 
um, and it's like daytime and it suddenly cuts to night. So it suggests that they've been searching the various different bays like all day. And you're just like, when did they eat? Where did like you know is it is there like a cut scene you know like you, you just imagine like uh, you know what when things happened how you know how they've managed to be without like food or water like all day on this boat it was there an awkward moment where you know like Bond had to pee over the side of the boat you know like <laughs> these are yeah. the things I think about in terms of logic thinking. <laughs> Oh, it's it's been it's been less than forty eight hours. He, he, yeah, no, I know, I I I know, I know. That's 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 true. So it's only been a couple of hours because it's only part of the forty eight hours. Because apparently it's been less than forty hours. No, I I like that's yeah. I do yeah, think about those kind pay, of pay no mind that the three days have passed. Uh, like from yeah. yeah yeah for sure for sure. Um, but you know. Again, yeah, we're we're just going with it. So yes, they they do that, and then they're kind of sneaking onto the stealth boat, mm-hmm. and what, Bond where where the henchmen are armed with throwing stars on their knees for some reason. Yeah, fun <laughs> fun little thing there. So we see yeah. we see a fun uh, hallway takedown. Like uh, Michelle Yeoh does the takedown, and then there's a another guy down the hall and she just pops out a throwing star from the guy's knee and like kills him it's like what what <laughs> why 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 is there why is there um yeah aboard so a- so so basically they get captured because of this it's actually a really funny sequence so carver is monologuing and now carver looks more like a bond villain now than at any other point in the movie because he's got a classic bond villain nero jacket on so like we know <laughs> he's gone full bond villain at this yep. stage so he's monologuing um to the assembled uh, assembled goons including uh, carver and 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 gupta um about you know all the things he's going to do and you know, he's going to be the king in the New World Order, whatever. And then he catches a security guard kind of being distracted. He's like playing a game or whatever and not looking at the security cameras. And then basically Carver points out like, look, there's Bond and Lynn on the security cameras. What do I pay you for? And then they go down and like uh, Lynn is captured by by Stamper. Um, but Bond evades capture. Uh, so that, that's that's how that's how that goes down, <laughs> and, and that is not the first time we'll uh, she'll be captured by Stamper in this sequence. Uh, no, 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 uh, not at all. So, like, but yes, uh, and we're not, not we, the only time. She, yeah. Yes. So then we cut to you know what you were your, what you were saying about the uh, the the racist martial art thing, um, yep. where and I feel like this happened a lot. Uh, in like eighties and nineties action movies, where like martial arts would be would be mocked by a British or American character, mm-hmm. where some British or American character would go whoa 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 and do like a bit bunch of like choppy motions and then and then yeah. be like ha ha martial arts aren't all that good are they? I was like the 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 weird patronizing attitude towards martial arts in Hollywood cinema. Uh, pre the matrix is mm. yeah it's this uh, not good <laughs> yeah i i mean i feel like coming off of coming off of like the the bruce lee jackie chan chuck norris uh martial arts like 
70 like late 70s early 80s and then we transitioned to karate fever with karate kid and three ninjas and stuff like that um then we get to the like the the back to like oh yeah no one really cares about martial arts anymore um i know but like until... it, in a lot of mainstream action movies even when the martial art crazies were happening mm-hmm. martial arts weren't respected That's, like even like yeah. at the height of like the bruce lee thing you know it's like um martial art fight choreography wasn't taken on board by mainstream Western, hollywood yeah. pictures it was still very much the kind of punchy clint eastwood kind of fight choreography that yes. was the most popular uh, in mainstream hollywood films like the only kind of american films that took on kind of martial art uh you know the fight choreography was really like the black exploitation films in the mm. 70s particularly and, yep. and like so 70s 80s we're still getting a lot of kind of the kind of you know traditional american kind of punchy thing you know that that mm-hmm. that that kind of fight choreography and it wasn't really until the matrix that martial art fight choreography became super mainstream in action movies that weren't specifically martial art films yes that's fair and and it might be because of like just the demographic that grew up on the the quote-unquote cheesy martial art films mm-hmm. um became stunt people and, and choreographers for they, they had grown up and then are now in the industry for that time to to make it into something more respectful um yeah. it's 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 interesting just just to i mean even just looking at like the difference between star wars the original series star wars and then like the prequels where it's all like a choreographed flow of lightsabers and whatever. Um, And like Mark Hamill saying, man, if I had a fight choreographer, I would have loved to have like direction and flowing around like the prequel films uh, with my lightsaber. I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, My notes say, I'm going to be honest. I kind of just tuned out for the last five minutes of action. It's so chaotic and there's no real sense of space in the action scenes. I I guess so. Uh, it was very frantic, and it was it hard was to tell frantic. where everyone was because Bond's on one side of the boat, and Michelle Yo, I mean, Wai Lin's on the other side of the boat, and uh, they keep cutting back in between. And uh, there's it's there like a it was cut it was cut and choppy, and it was hard to tell what was going on. In my opinion, yeah, it is very frantic. This this way, it's the action. Uh, up until this point, um, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, big action set pieces that we've discussed at length, uh, the, the car park sequence, the, the motorbike chase helicopter sequence, it's, it's all been pretty, you know, it's pretty wide angle, pretty clean cut, you know, uh, you know, nicely, nicely edited, no quick cut editing, you know, you can really kind of see the action and see everything that's going on. But like, mm-hmm. yes, the, the, the action does become more frantic in this kind of last little bit of the film it um, feels like the what, end of moonraker yeah okay well yeah i i guess a little bit um Except i did mean to mention as yeah. well um because everybody's got to get in on the one-liner game before <laughs> carver does the like mock martial art thing 
he he does it's the way Jonathan Price delivers this line where he's like oh you know the late deceased Mr. Bond he's now sitting at the bottom of the South China Sea I guess you could call him my new anchor man I think you can See, I always, I always, I forget about that line because I always pay attention to the fact that that's the same scene where like Bond is like literally behind him and like peeks through the door and Michelle Yeoh sees his character. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Why? Why do I keep? It's it's Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> it's Michelle Yeoh. It's my, yeah. Yeah. It's not. There's no Wylin. It's just Agent Michelle Yeoh. Yes, indeed. Um. So, and then, as with a lot of Bond films, we realize the kind of convolutedness of this plan. So, basically, what it boils down to is Carver has almost started World War III in order to become China's new state broadcaster. Mm-hmm. 100 years exclusive broadcasting rights. You feel like there's a simpler way to go about that. Not with the Chinese, man. You got to... You got to get in there and you got to, you got to make the deals and (laughs) you got to, yes, you've got to install a puppet president, nearly start world war three. Yep. And then become the new state broadcaster. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't see, I don't see a more direct route to becoming. No, no, I don't see a more direct route either. Carver's plan is obviously the only one that you would go for. (laughs) uh so he tells uh stamper to to maybe actually kill one of them this time uh and he goes after bond and or michelle yo i don't know well first um like they try and do bond tries to negotiate with carver because Mm -hmm. he's like oh i swap the the girl for gupta because uh, bond has got gupta at, Mm -hmm. at gunpoint uh, but Carver's like, I don't need Gupta anymore. He's already given me the codes. Everything's going to work. Um, and then just shoots Gupta and kills him. Um, we all saw it coming. Yeah. But like the interesting thing about Carver, um, because I always think more about character logic than I do about physics logic or geography logic, because I always think that that's, too much of a hassle uh, to get into in an action movie. Um, the interesting thing about Carver here is he still thinks if the missile goes off that his plan is going to work, despite the fact he knows that the boat has no longer got its stealth ability, so b- both the British and Chinese can see it, and therefore the cat is very much out of the bag and his plan is going to fail even if the missile lands you know that's he's not going to become state broadcaster he is going to be imprisoned for nearly starting world war three like there's no part of this now that is going to work despite the fact he thinks still for some reason despite knowing all this that if he can kill bond and lynn and get the missile to launch he still wins even though he will not i mean i they don't become visible on radar until the uh, thing goes out or until he kills Gupta and then bombs Bond sets off his grenade. Correct. Uh, but somebody tells him that the stealth is no longer working. So at that point, the character would be the yeah. penny should drop that like there's no way where this is going to be a win for him. 
if if he gets out of it and the Chinese, uh, if General Chang, really General Chang, yep. uh, is um, still successful, like he he could get asylum in China. <laughs> And he, 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 his goal was to become the, the broadcaster and to have exclusive broadcast rights for 100 years there. I think if he kills everyone, no, he's not going to get away with it, right? No, it's, okay. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd let you, I, I thought it was like you'd let you uh, go for that one. And, uh, but no, we, we come around to the same yeah. I, point. I, I'm, I, I'm nitpicky about the physics. The plans, of course, are not going to make sense. <laughs> I'm more of a next figure about the plans than I am the physics. Um, yeah. so um, I do. This is the point in the movie that, like, because this is 1997, so Austin Powers came come, came out in 1997, and there it feels kind of a little bit Austin Powersy, particularly where you have like the robotic female voice who's doing the countdown for the <laughs> missile, where it's like yeah. T minus five minutes. Uh. <laughs> I like yet again a Bond villain that uh, thinks they've killed Bond by go over the top. Like, so I don't remember exactly what happens, but uh, oh, the I think they get hit by torpedoes or missiles or something, right? Yeah, the, the ship that they're on. So Bond gets like covered in rubble, and then Stamper is just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna shoot one grenade down there, and that should kill him. Does doesn't check for a body. It, Bond's dead, obviously. For the third time today, Bond's clearly dead. Yes, uh, I, I mean they, just... they, they they didn't check for a body before either. When he dropped in, where he supposedly dropped into the ocean, and he had just used uh, a henchman as like a decoy. Um, yeah. like, so they Stamper was just shooting a corpse. Um, so so they didn't check for a body then either. So yes, the the you, know, you can always rely on the overconfidence of the bad guys in these films. Um, uh, but he goes off and captures Michelle Yeoh, uh, Wylin, and uh, Bond is trying. Oh, Bond murders Steve Jobs with the drill torpedo. Um, like uh, straight up. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, but it's good again, and this is again where why I think you know you can't make these movies any more serious because I was watching this sequence and I was like, if this was in like a more serious film, this would be horrific because yeah. basically because yeah, he gets like he, murdered he, by the he holds drill. him until the drill goes into him and then steps aside. Yes, exactly. But then he finishes it with a quippy line about, you know, like, um, you forgot the first rule of mass media, always give the viewers what they want. And that makes everything all better. <laughs> oh, good God. Um, yeah. I, the, yeah. That, even, even that one was a, a bit much, a bit much for me. Um, but I, I think, like, again, because they don't make it super gory, Yes. And because it's not grounded in any sort of reality, we're in a very much a cartoon Bond reality. Yes. I think you accept it. Certainly, I accept a it. Ab absolutely. And, you know, I'm just thinking Bond could grow up to be the saw guy if you really wanted to. Like, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. I mean, Bond is a sociopath, 100%. Uh, <laughs> uh, but a fun sociopath in these movies. 
Uh, and then Stamper's still going, even after his boss is dead. Bond is trying to arm or disarm. Disarm the, mis- the missile. Isn't he trying to blow it up? Like, didn't isn't that what he attached to the to the bottom of the thing? I don't know. Uh, I, I, he's trying to disarm the missile. Stamper comes over with Michelle Yeoh trapped in chains. Um, so she tells him to to disarm the missile more. <laughs> And uh, Bond puts some sort of explosive on the end of it, and then she gets dropped into the water. He uh, Stamper fights him for the third time in, in as many scenes, and uh, it, he what does he do? He keeps trying to grab for oh, he tries to he pins Stamper's ankle with the missile. Yes, and, completely breaking it. He previously stabbed him a couple of times, which Stamper laughed off. But yes. um, he then completely snaps his ankle, which Stamper is a bit more perturbed by. Which, to be fair, is not a chakra point. Like, uh, which you know, if it's not a chakra point, why why is it affecting Stamper? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then Bond dives into the water. No, I. Yes, he he basically um he manages to free himself. He's been kind of hanging over the edge, and he's he's attached to the kind of thing that's carrying the missile. And uh, Stamper is like, "Well, if I'm going to die, you're going to die as well." And then Bond manages to cut himself free. And then Stamper's like, no, he doesn't yeah. actually say no, but he's got a look of it on his face that basically says that. And then as the bomb goes off, exploding Stamper, another spectacular death on the on the Bond kill count. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Bond falls into the water. He gives Michelle Yeoh the kiss of life. Uh, to get, to, 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 <laughs> I don't think that's how mouth to mouth works. No, it's really not. But um, <laughs> but we're we're I think we're just over the two hour mark, and yeah, we're yeah, and yeah. also yeah, we're not going to watch the film to cover. So it, well, yeah. let's not we'll not make this one a sticking point. Um, so he does mouth to mouth underwater somehow because Bond is a magical creature, yeah. and uh, yeah, and then and then undoes her chains. And then they both uh, float up to the ocean surface. And just like the movie, that's how this ends. No. Uh, well, it's pretty much how it ends because yeah, uh, basically clip. the HMS Bedford uh, are looking for them and saying like, oh, Bond, Lynn, yeah, where are you? And uh, despite the fact that they both would probably be dying of hypothermia right now on this raft, <laughs> Um, and needs urgent medical attention. Uh, Bond laughs it off and says, let's stay undercover. And presumably they have sex for a while before flagging down HMS Medford. Yes, on a piece of uh, shipwreck. Yes. Yeah. And that was Tomorrow Never Dies. (laughs) That was all of Tomorrow Never Dies. I think we, despite going along, I think we largely stayed on the film. It was just, there was a lot of wackiness in the film. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot of wackiness in the film. <laughs> that's, that's no lie. Um, yeah. 
Okay. Do you have any last thoughts? And if you don't, uh, just go straight to your to your plugs for all your things. Uh, final thoughts. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies is a perfectly adequate Bond film. It is. Uh, I it's ranked third for my Brosnan just because I I like world the world's not enough a little bit better. Okay. Um, but it is it's uh, it's perfectly serviceable. Uh, there are points just like in uh, our yammering today that it could have been a little bit shorter, a little bit tighter, but um, it's fun, which is just like our yammering today uh, going over this podcast or going over this movie. And um, Michelle Yeoh being in it, that was great. Uh, like uh, you, you don't really see much representation in Bond films, especially, I don't know, until ever um and uh especially asian representation hmm. <clears throat> looking at you connery film um <laughs> let's not get into you only live twice <laughs> yeah. uh, as a half japanese man myself uh but yeah it's it's great it's it's great like those earlier action set, set pieces like blew it out of the water um it kind of just does that third act like the marvel movie third act where everything needs to be exploding and caught and the terror um but yeah it, it's it's a, it's a good watch through and uh i am brandon uh you can find me on uh namely 90s every monday um where we go back and two childhood best friends talking about the 90s um we we in 30-ish minutes kind of sum up a month of the 90s uh for you oh excuse me and um yeah, you can also find me uh, at rewindshow.com, which is my YouTube series uh, about wine and wine education. I'm also on Twitch. I'm on hiatus right now, but I may be back in August, which is when this is coming out. So twitch.tv slash somtendo, that's S-O-M-M-T-E-N-D-O, and find Namey90s on Twitter at Namey90s with a 90s because I run that account and like to talk to people that way. Okay, excellent. Well, I recommend all our listeners check out all of that stuff. Um, for me, uh, final thought on Tomorrow Never Dies, I stand by my opinion. It is an underrated Bond movie. It's not top tier Bond, but it is a very solid Bond adventure with some great stunt work, some great action set pieces. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is underutilized. But when she is utilized correctly, she is amazing, like she is in most things. And uh, yeah, I just I just think that and also I really appreciate, I guess maybe because somebody who studied journalism in uni, I really appreciate the Rupert Murdoch mistake, and I really appreciate Jonathan Price's uh, performance. So I think that's worth the price of admission as well. Uh, in terms of finding us on social media and stuff like that, you can um, you can find us on Twitter at Nineties Action, and you can uh, uh, no, we don't have a Facebook, but my other podcast, uh, New Horror Express, does. Uh, you can find that on Facebook, and you can find it on Twitter at New Horror Exp. And if you really want to just talk to me, you can um, at Scott Murphy. 85 i think my twitter handle is um i suddenly forgot uh, but uh yes and please do rate re, re, rate review and subscribe to the show 
on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Please give the podcast five stars because otherwise the algorithm thinks we are a whole lot of rubbish. And would you want that in your conscience? I don't think you would, dear listener. Anyway, that is the end of this episode. But please be sure to remember that James Bond shall return in all 90s Bonds edition of The World Is Not Enough. Until then, though, see ya.